bit of a break from our journey from the old, uh, through the Old Testament here, and we're looking at this New Testament passage. And I'm going to make a statement this morning that might shock some of you. Jesus had favorites. <laughs> now, the reason that this statement is shocking is that there are many passages in the Bible that tell us that God does not show partiality and that we as his servants are sinning if we do so. Let me read just a couple of those verses to warn of this. James 2.9, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Romans 2.11, For God shows no partiality. Acts 10.34, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. And so, how can I make such a statement when it's obvious that God is against favoritism? Well, I think it's important for us to put into context the verses here that we just read, because in each case, God is showing that he's against showing partiality when it comes to presenting the gospel. For instance, in the Acts passage, he's telling Peter that when it comes to God's salvation plan, the Gentiles are just as eligible as the Jews. In the same, in, it's uh, the same in the Romans passage. Uh, Jews and Gentiles alike will be judged according to their deeds. In the James passage, it was a special situation where favoritism was being shown to the rich over and against the poor. And so you can imagine my surprise here as I study this passage that I see that Jesus had favorites when it comes to the miracles that he did. He was much more eager to do miracles in some cases than he was in others. Our passage here today that Jack just read from John 5, 1 through 9, is the third recorded miracle in the book of John. But I want you to notice with me, it was the first miracle that Jesus did willingly and initiated. The first miracle is recorded in John chapter 2, and it's the story of the wedding in Cana, where he turned the water into wine. And I want you to notice how reluctant it is, uh, Jesus is to do this miracle. In fact, he seems to outright refuse to do it at first. I'm going to re, uh, read verses 3 and 4. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The second miracle recorded in John is in chapter 4. And there is an official of the Jews who's coming to Jesus here, and he's asking Jesus to heal his son who's dying. Now, most scholars believe that perhaps this man was at that wedding in Canaan, saw Jesus do this miracle, and so came to him to ask to have his son healed. But Jesus turns on him and he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus refused to even go with the official, but actually healed him at a distance. But I want you to notice the transformation that happens in Jesus as he comes upon this man who is crippled, lying next to the pool of Bethesda. Jesus is the one who initiates the conversation asking this man if he would like to be made whole. And so my question this morning is, why the big switch? Why has, was Jesus so eager to heal this man, and it seems like he was not eager in the previous two miracles? 
And I have six reasons this morning that show this eagerness. First, Jesus is eager to heal when time hasn't healed us. One of the first things that we notice about this sick man is the unusual amount of time that he's been in this condition. The life expectancy in 1900 in the United States was only 47 years old, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And with even poorer conditions in ancient Palestine and the threat of Roman occupation, it's safe to say that this man has probably been sick longer than most people have been alive at that time. Jesus perceived this, and it seems that he has compassion upon this man because of the length of his suffering. This indicates to me that the compassion that Jesus has for you, if you are one who is hearing this sermon this morning and you have suffered for a long time, that he thinks of you as one of his favorites. I believe that the number of years that this man suffered for is mentioned in this verse for you this morning to be encouraged. I believe that the Holy Spirit caused it to be written there so that we can know that Jesus can heal you whether you've been sick for 38 days or for 38 years. Now, I would love to guarantee all of you who have chronic pain this morning, if you come up to the rail and receive anointing, that you are going to be healed by Jesus. I'm actually going to pray later on that you are healed, but I do want you to know for certain that Jesus shows in this story that he's eager to heal this kind of person. And that hopefully can build your faith that it might be you today. Second, we see that Jesus is eager to heal when we have lost all hope. We want to look here first at this uh, hopeless man's condition. And it doesn't tell us in the passage just how long he's been lying there beside this pool. It's obviously been quite a while. And the reason that we know that this man is in a hopeless state is because when Jesus asks him, would you like to be made whole? The man doesn't turn to him and say, yes, I'd love it. Please make me whole. Instead, he looks at his hopeless condition. He describes how he's been trying to get down into the water for years and years and nobody has been there to help him. And so he tells him about the hopelessness that he's experiencing. And I wonder if you've lost hope for healing in your own situation. Maybe you've even stopped asking for it. Maybe you figure that this is your lot in life until the day that you die. Now don't get me wrong, I'm all for being content in whatever situation we find ourselves in. But contentedness does not mean that we do not ask for improvement. Paul asked the Lord three times to take away the thorn in the flesh that he was experiencing. And I believe that this man is shown to us to show us that when we are hopeless, Jesus brings us hope. The third thing I want you to notice today is Jesus is eager to heal those when, uh, those when friends have failed us. As I read the story, I kind of wondered uh, what this guy's life must have been like. That colonnade that's described here was initially a decorative colonnade with this pool. But it had turned into, basically, a hospital. A shelter for the multitude of sick and disabled. And many would literally go there and they would stay there. They would live at this colonnade. 
And I imagine that many people did ministry there on a regular basis. Maybe they came to give food or to bring blankets, kind of like if we went down to Seattle to a place where there was a lot of destitute people and we would minister to them. But this one particular man here had a problem. A long time back, he had been abandoned by his friends in regard to the help that he needed to get into the water when it was stirred. And this is not unusual when it comes to illness because human nature seems to be able to put up with only a limited amount of dealing with sick people. Now some of you are perhaps married to somebody that has been sick for a long time, and so you're committed to them. But as friends, it's a little bit more difficult to stay committed. I mean, when we first find out somebody is sick or they're suffering or they're dealing with somebody, everybody lines up and they, you know, make a meal and bring it to them or perhaps they give rides or whatever it might be. But after a couple of years, it really declines. And after 38 years, this man has nobody around. And so he's been struggling with loneliness for a long time. But the Bible tells us that there is one who sticks closer than a brother. And Jesus had been there all along with him. Being part of the triune Godhead, Jesus knew this man intimately. He knew that he would have this disease. And he knew right where to find him when he wanted to meet with him. Perhaps this morning your friends have abandoned you. Maybe they don't come around to help you like they once did when you were initially sick. And I encourage you not to hold a grudge against them because even the most saintly people become weary of the amount of work that it takes to care for the sick. But I want you to know this morning that Jesus has not abandoned you. He sees your loneliness. He sees your need. And he's eager to help you in your time of distress, even though it may not look to you like anybody is there for you. Jesus didn't stay with this man and begin to watch the water for the stirring so that he could help him in. He had something else in mind. And Jesus is eager to help you as well. The fourth thing we see here today is that Jesus is eager to heal when traditional methods haven't healed us. It's kind of unclear when we read this passage, especially when you look at the commentaries, as to whether there really was an angel that came and stirred the water or not, because um, there's actually a note under my ESV and the NIV version that calls into question this account. Translated from certain Greek manuscripts, it states, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed from whatever disease he had. And so the point is, is that this method was not working for this man. He was too disabled to get into the water. There, was, there were others that were quicker than him. And so he wasn't being healed in this method. That he, that's the reason they were all there. They were all there because of the hope of a possibility of getting in first and being healed. But this is the way it is when you don't have other methods to get better. You'll try whatever you can. It's amazing the lengths that people will go to to help address their health issues. It seems like money, time, and distance are tossed out of the window as factors when we get sick enough. 
But I would submit to you that the Lord is eager to touch the lives of those who have trialed, tried all the traditional methods. And they are ready, really, uh, and ready at the end of their rope to come to Jesus and to ask for his healing. I think that the main reason that this is so appealing that Jesus here uh, comes to this man is that no one else can get the credit. The doctors can't get the credit. The pool can't get the credit. An angel can't get the credit. God alone gets all the glory. And so this man is about to be touched by Jesus, and it's no question about who healed him in that situation. Have you given up on traditional methods and even maybe superstitions for your healing, then I would say that you're just in the right place for a powerful testimony for God. Have faith. He can heal you, even as he did this man. Fifth, I want you to notice that Jesus is eager to heal us at once. I want to call your attention to a particular word here. It's the Greek word that we translate at once. It can also be translated immediately. And it comes from the root meaning straight. And it's where we get the term straight away. Okay? And so straight away, this man is healed. He went straight from one moment being an invalid, unable to walk, to being a fully healed man. One of the problems with being in a coma for a number of years is that when you come out of the coma, your ligaments have shrunk and your muscles have atrophied. And it takes a number of months and sometimes even years until you're able to walk like a regular person again. This man did not have a roundabout recovery. <laughs> he went from being on his back for 38 years to jumping up and down and running around. He was healed in the direct path. And sometimes I find myself making statements like if I'm healed from a cold or if I, you know, somebody's sick or, you know, uh, oh, well, the Lord healed them. Okay, well, yeah, the Lord has designed our bodies with, you know, antibodies and certain ways to fight disease and that kind of thing. Or he's given us the medical community. But I wonder, was it a miracle? <laughs> was it really a miracle that my cold got better and people were praying for me? I'm glad maybe they got, maybe I got better quicker. You know, as in the case of Ruth, people were praying for her, and she came out of that. But she's still dealing with things. She's still dealing with long COVID issues. She came, went from uh, being sick, getting better, and then going back sick again. But I want you to notice, in this situation, there's no doubt. There's no doubt it was a roundabout way, and I slowly got better. I mean, he was sick, and then he got better right away. And this is where I have a little bit of a, tr a problem with some faith healers, okay? People are out there proclaiming that they're going to heal you, and people walk out of there, and they're feeling maybe a little bit better, but they don't feel completely better, and they're not completely healed. And to guarantee that, I think, is a major problem, and it has caused a lot of problems in people's lives. Maybe I didn't have enough faith, or maybe the Lord doesn't like me enough to have healed me in this moment. And I want you to know that when Jesus heals you, you are healed. Okay? You will be healed. There's no question about your healing in those situations. When Jesus does a miracle, he has a specific 
purpose in mind, and there's a certain message that he's trying to get across. We see this in every instance of his earthly ministry. And I wonder if the Lord is not eager to heal us many times because we don't truly hold out for the miraculous. We don't hold out for the immediate healing. There's no question about our crippled man, especially in his mind, (laughs) that he was healed and who healed him. Sixth, we see that Jesus is eager to heal us when we've made mistakes. This is a bonus one. We have to skip down to verse 14 where it says, See you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And so Jesus heals this man, and then later on, he runs into him again, you know. And this man comes up to him, and he begins to talk to him. The man actually got in trouble because he picked up his mat and walked, and the Jewish leaders, uh, being as obtuse as they are, they didn't connect the fact that God had healed this guy. All they see is some guy carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And so Jesus tells him, stop sinning that something worse may not happen to you. And it seems to indicate that the man's sin had gotten him into this situation. Something about, you know, this sin. And that happens to us, doesn't it? Sometimes our own foolish sin gets us into situations where we're medically in trouble. Right? We make foolish choices and we end up in trouble. And so this man, obviously his sin had affected him. And if not a specific sin, at least his general sin as a human being had gotten him into this situation. But it seems here that Jesus takes pleasure in extending grace to this man. Has the enemy been lying to you, telling you that you don't deserve the healing that we would like to have because of all the bad things that you've done? Well, you can turn to the devil and say this, that's right, I don't deserve it. But because Jesus died for me, I'm a child of the king, and he cares for me, and he's concerned about my ailment. Because it's not based on deserving, right? I have a big problem many times. I was talking to Mary about this yesterday, where people say things like, oh, we don't deserve the love of the Lord. That's actually false. Because you are a child of God, you deserve his love. Which one of you parents would say to your child, you don't deserve my love? No, you love them because they're your child. Now, we may not deserve certain things as children, right? We don't deserve the grace or sometimes the mercy or whatever those circumstances that we're under or healing. But we can look to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm your child. I know that you love me. I know that you've covered my sin by the blood of Christ, and so based on those things is how I come to you, humbly asking for what you can give me and what you alone can give me. But remember, if he heals you, heed the words of Jesus to change the way that you live because something worse might happen, right? You just That's the hard part about healing you know, or, or receiving things from the Lord. You know, if you have an entitlement mentality, well, I deserve this and this is, you know, my right. How many of you parents, when your children come to you with this kind of mentality of it's my right, give it to me, are excited about that? But how many, you know, when they come humbly and are thankful for what you give, you're excited to continue giving to them, right? 
In conclusion here, I know there are some of you who can relate to many aspects of this man here today. And this story is meant to stir your faith. There is a connection between faith and healing. If you don't have any faith for healing, the Bible indicates that the Lord's not going to heal you. In fact, Jesus, in a certain circumstance, he was in his hometown, and it says he didn't do many miracles because of their faith. They didn't believe. They didn't believe in him. Jesus couldn't do certain miracles because the people's faith, or lack thereof, had stopped him. And so that's why I'm preaching the sermon before we pray, so that you can see an example of somebody who had very little faith. He was hopeless, but he had just a little bit of faith, right? Like the man who had a son who was demon-possessed, Jesus looked at him and said, do you have faith? Do you believe? And he said, I believe, help my unbelief. There's a combination there in every single one of us. Nobody that I know of believes 100%, has faith 100%. We all have a mixture of belief and doubt. And so this morning we can pray, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief to become belief as we approach the throne here. And so perhaps if you can relate to these things, I want you to know that you're one of Jesus' favorites. Your humbled state stirs his compassion. He doesn't enjoy looking down on us and chuckling, ha, 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 they're suffering more. That'll teach him. No. He came to suffer for us, to relate to us, to see the things and rub shoulders with us. He's not at some distance. He came down. I know that the Lord has compassion on us because we are created in the image of God. And we react to people in certain ways that have these same conditions. We're more prone to have favorites. Every single one of you here today have favorites. People you like more than others. People you can't stand, people you call when you want to have fun and hang around. And sometimes in regard to compassion, and by the way, this is why you see ads with, with like, that pull the heartstrings for us, right? We have compassion when there's a desperate situation. We have compassion when they're pathetic. We have compassion when they're more of an innocent person, Right? The more sorry for their sins they are, we're, we're, you know, the more non-deserving they are. In certain countries, in India, they'll actually amputate some child's arm in order for them to get more money from begging. It's true. Watch the documentaries on this stuff. They'll actually burn some kid's eye or something because they know that people are going to be more compassionate toward them. And so if you have some of these attributes, you know, you don't have any control over that. (laughs) You can't become more pathetic so that God's going to want to heal you more. That's not the point of the story. But the point of the story is, if you are in that situation, know that you're one of his favorites. It's weird, I know, it's, it's it's, it's odd even saying it, but the Bible story here tells us that. And so... As you come forward this morning, we're going to do something. We're going to um, pray for you. 
We're going to pray for forgiveness for your sins. Okay, the Bible indicates that when you come, there's a, a sense of asking for the Lord's forgiveness. And, you know, if there's something blocking the healing, maybe, perhaps, you know, that that would be removed so that the Lord can do his work. And we're hoping for an amazing miracle today. And I want to tell one last story just in regard for your faith being built. Um, Pastor Hoff, he was telling me this story about a church that he was in in Minneapolis. And when he was at that church, they had a healing service, similar to what we're going to do right now, come to the rail and receive healing. And this man was, he had a back injury. And so he came up and um, Pastor Hoff was beginning to pray for him. Out of the ceiling, the book Grey's Anatomy dropped right in front of Pastor Hoff, right in front of him like this, and opened to the page on backs and highlighted a certain area about backs. And so Pastor Hoff began to pray for this guy's area specifically in his back. The page flipped, and then it highlighted the pelvis in the sciatic area. And he began to pray for that. Then the page flipped, and it highlighted a particular disc. And he prayed for that. The book closed and went back up in the ceiling again. Pastor Hoff said, Amen. The guy stood up, went back to the pew, and as he began to sit down, his back cracked super loud. Everybody in the congregation heard it and kind of gasped. And as he sprung back up, he goes, I'm healed, I'm healed. That to me is an indication that even in the Lutheran church, you know, the Lord can heal. This may not happen to everybody, but it built my faith when I heard that. And if you know Pastor Hoff, he's not prone to these extravagant stories like this. And to me, that showed that God, sometimes he heals. He may heal today, he may not. You know, he's still our God, and we still ask. We're his children, you know. We can take an example from children that ask over and over. You moms, how, how many times do you get tired over and over? Mommy, can I have this? Mommy, can I have this? Fine, here, have it, you know, whatever. Okay, so um, at this point, what we're going to do is I'm just going to pray here in regard to um, this healing time. And Don, we have a chair for you here, okay? So why don't you come on up and, and sit in this chair. And then for the rest of you, if you would like to have prayer for healing today, um, come on forward and anointing for oil. And by the way, I would encourage you not to think this way. Eh, my thing isn't that big of a deal, you know. I don't, I don't want to waste their time with that. If it's bothering you and if it's a problem, come on up. You know, if we need to spend another extra 10 minutes, that's fine. And the elders or the deacons and, the, um, and Brian are going to come forward too as well. And so we'll have an opportunity to pray. And I'll come around and anoint, anoint you with oil as well. And there'll be some music uh, just pl pray, playing in the background. So I'll pray and then you all just come forward. Father, we thank you for the fact that you heal. And Jesus, we see these examples of your healing that uh, this wasn't just for your time in ministry here, but you continue to tell us to anoint the sick and to pray. And so we're going to do that today, and I pray that you would increase our faith, Lord. And we pray that you would bring healing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, 
Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.